In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the geek culture podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's meet the crew, and it's pretty much just me. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. But I do have some interesting crew members aboard today. Some famous ones, so we'll get to that in a second. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And hey, while you're on Apple Podcasts, wouldn't it be swell if you could write a quick review about the show? By doing that, you'll be helping other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a thank you, we'll give you a very special shout-out on our next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show moving forward. It's all upside for you. And don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at MothershipPod, or you can send an email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Now on to the main topic. Here's a clip. Start last contact with Mission Control. Three weeks. We've lost contact with NASA and everyone else. It's just a glitch. You really believe that? I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth. Take a deep breath. There is an antenna stronger than ours. We get there, they'll hear us. Has anyone receiving this? It's gonna take a walk outside. Comms is still up. Come in, Ether. This is Barbo Observatory. Are you receiving this? That was from The Midnight Sky, the new Netflix apocalyptic drama directed by and starring George Clooney as a dying astronomer at a base in the Arctic Circle. He has to take care of a young girl he finds at the base while deadly radiation spreads across the globe and sends what's left of humanity underground. The scientist also has to warn a returning crew of astronauts coming back from a two-year mission to see if a newly discovered moon of Jupiter is inhabitable that Earth's probably not the greatest place to be right now. This week's special guests are three members of the Spaceship Ether: Felicity Jones, David Oyelowo, and Kyle Chandler. Note, we do go to Spoiler Town a little bit with the stars, so beware if you haven't seen it yet. First up is Felicity, who plays Astronaut Sully. You probably know her from Rogue One, The Aeronauts, or her Oscar-nominated role in The Theory of Everything, including factored in her real-life pregnancy into the midnight sky. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for taking time. No worries. How's motherhood going in the pandemic? I mean, we call it double lockdown. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a strange old time, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, actually, today uh, they opened up shops again and restaurants okay. in the UK. So we have a little reprieve and we'll see what uh, next year brings, I guess. For sure. My little girl's eight at this point. And I remember, you know, just being around people and like, 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want her around people when she was like a little girl. And I can't imagine like, you know, you better wear a mask <laughs> around the baby, you know, <laughs> the heightened insecurity around germs. I mean, if you have any grain of OCD, it is now at such a level. <laughs> that it's going to be hard to come back from that. <laughs> right. Um, Midnight Sky is very much a movie about making connections between, you know, two characters, a dark circle, a crew of astronauts, but also kind of the connection between those two. Do you think a movie like that hits us differently in a year where we can't connect with loved ones and most of our interactions where, you know, we can't see the other people's other person's face? Definitely, without a doubt. Uh, it's a, a film that is about the desire for connection and we're in a moment where connection is being denied to us. So it, it felt, when I read the script months ago before the pandemic, it felt relevant, but in a different way. It felt like its relevancy was about you know, this greater uh, shift to more technology in our lives and how that was affecting us. And it was a little bit more generalized, the relevancy. And now it is completely on the money. It is, you know, it almost feels like documentary. <laughs> and we are in a moment where I think we're asking a lot of big questions. We're asking, you know, in some ways, if we're lucky enough, we're asking quite philosophical questions about you know, who we are and, uh, and what this means for our future, uh, um, which is the very questions that they're asking on the ship of, of um, in the midnight sky of, of ether. Well, and I think it also, you know, kind of the movie, movie is very prescient in the fact of like, it shows humanity doesn't really do well and is not really kind of prepared for something, you know, that it's, it's not expecting, you know, in, in for us, it's a pandemic. For them, it's, you know, kind of this weird radiological event, but it also shows kind of, how humanity is really fragile and like just one thing can like cause something catastrophic. Yeah. I think we thought we were, we were pretty uh, untouchable, didn't we? And mm -hmm. our, our foundations have been completely shaken up in a, in a way that we just ha could have no idea of how strange that would be. And we, we would look back to something like world war two, which was similar in its, in its scope and, and worldwide effect. And it felt so distant from us, but in the, in the moment of the pandemic, suddenly all those emotions that they were having then have, have been pretty similar. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it is, it is definitely, uh, something that the film is is taking to an extreme. I mean, it's an ex it's almost one step further than we are now. So mm -hmm. in some in some respects, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a warning shot. As as is the pandemic. Obviously, George is an iconic actor. What about him as a filmmaker? Did you really appreciate? I. I was in. I was intrigued to see him work. That was part of the reason why I wanted to to do the film. I I was excited by his his previous work. I, I think he's someone who is very ideologically minded. I think he explores those ideologies through his his films, um, and he is someone who has a, a very a great sensitivity. He's also he uh, has an intelligence, uh, and he is is extraordinarily efficient when, when he works. He knows exactly the story that he's telling. He knows every single shot. He knows what he wants from you uh, and is very clear and very kind in, in, in the manner that he works. Mm -hmm. 
Who who among you in the cast would be the act, best actual astronaut? And you can pick yourself if you think it's yourself. No, I'm I'm very far from that. I, I would actually celebrate myself as possibly the worst astronaut. I I would be far too claustrophobic, and I don't like being away from home for long periods of time. So I would definitely be out of that, <laughs> out of the running. But I think I think possibly the best astronaut could be probably Demian. I think he has a a calmness and um, surety and uh, there's something he's sort of philosophically sound I think he could cope with it and I think he would enjoy the the time and the space to think. I know George wanted to write your pregnancy into the story itself being in this state in that state of mind with a child on the way did it connect you to the material and themes of life and mortality differently than it might have if you weren't? With, without a doubt, I, I think it intensified my uh, appreciation of those themes. It, it always felt very instinctively that I was very attached to the role f- from from the onset and then being pregnant, it, I only felt more attached to it. I, I, I think exploring what the future of the world was and, and what is the future for our children became even more relevant and it it is a story that is about responsibility and who do we have responsibility to and and the choices that we make and those decisions and I I found that particularly that storyline between Sully and Augustine very moving and and touching. Mm -hmm. How long how far along were you when you started making it? I actually can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think god I can't I think maybe I was I don't want to get it wrong. It's all blurred into one one period of working because I was doing another film before. I did The Last Letter, okay. uh, which I shot just before. And then I went uh, straight on to The Midnight Sky. So I was, I was pregnant for the duration of both those films. And The Midnight Sky was towards the uh, latter half of my pregnancy. Did it? We and I, I know they probably looked out for you in terms of stunt work and you know and some of the the spade scenes and stuff. But are there some that you know, kind of you look back on them now and you're like, I'm kind of impressed that I did that. You know, when I when I was pregnant. Well, I was really gung ho. I uh, was determined to do as many stunts as possible. Uh, so I, when I first had that conversation with George, when I told him, I said, you know, and I I don't want to change don't change any of the stunts I'm very determined to do all of them and we'll make it work uh but in the end and and uh George was very kind in adapting those stunts and I think also very sensible in a way that I was being very unsensible um so a lot of my stunts I was I was very comfy in fact I had a very uh, soft stool that I was sitting on and I was uh giving the impression of zero gravity with a with a sort of wafting of my arms so <laughs> I had a pretty luxurious experience in the end well that's good they didn't put you in like the real like like stuff that Brad Pitt and probably George had to go through in his space movies no I wasn't in that there's that um the the sort of deathly rig the 360 degree rig that apparently is is uh, particularly uncomfortable no thank goodness I was saved from that and I was watching other people work really hard as I was just pretty chilled I won't get into this until after the movie's out but I, I really like the moment at the end because it you know you, you feel you know Sully and Adewale's weight of what they have to go do now and mm. they have that moment of like 
okay. And then, then they get back to work, you know, and, and then I, I really like that because I think that's kind of like, you wonder how you would feel in that situation where like, okay, well, you're the last of mankind. It's now up to you to kind of go, you know, to repopulate another planet. What did you like? What did you personally like about the ending and what that said about the movie on the, as a whole? Well, there's a, there's a, a strange peacefulness to the ending, isn't there? There's mm-hmm. a, uh, a pragmatism to it, which is quite interesting, having gone through a, a near apocalypse as we as we have over the last few months, it is amazing how the practical does just take over. You know, humans are incredibly resourceful and they 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 do keep going. <laughs> they 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 you know harness what skills they have and they have a determination to survive. And and that's what you see at the end. And I, I think also it's a celebration of of love in a sense. I think it's the love between Adewale and Sully that that'll keep them going and they're on to the next, you know, their focus is the is the future of their of their child and and ensuring that that is a, a, a safe future. It's interesting to kind of see those two characters too, because you know, usually when, when you see one of these space movies, there's like you know, they fit archetypes where there's like there's a leader, there's the, you know, the the guy who kind of hates being the rogue, you know, the guy who's, you know, the person who's trying to keep it all together. But, you know, those two, you know, they keep it professional. You know, you they see you catch glances between them and, you know, and touches and everything. But it's interesting. They kind of keep it professional as we see them, you know, dealing with the crew and everything. And, you know, everybody on the crew seems to like each other. What, what did you like about, in particular, you and, and Dave's dynamic in that? Yeah, they're sort of... Um... They're, they're quite old-fashioned in a sense. I think I think they're aware of the proximity of the way that they're living and they both take what they do incredibly seriously and and there's a tenderness in their in their connection and it is as you say there's something deeply private in that connection that isn't they 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 sort of want to keep a, a level of professionalism and and keep something that's held back that's just for them and I would imagine being in a spaceship and being in such confined quarters you need to find your little moments of solace and 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 privacy and and so they're they're quite careful to to protect that. And this scenes between you and George, because that you know obviously the you know as the film plays out it is such a that's another cool connection and you know once they really kind of know who the who's who's talking to each other you you know it's it makes it really important in terms of the overall movie were you were you there was he there with you doing those lines or you know was it just kind of you and he was directing you no no he he read all the lines I couldn't I couldn't do it with anyone else that that voice is so iconic that would be so <laughs> that would be awful uh no no I don't think anyone can quite do a George Clooney as well as George Clooney so um so he but they had already shot that his side his footage so I was able to see that uh <clears throat> before I shot my side of that scene which was really helpful so I could visualize exactly what was happening in those moments and those beats. And we adapted some of the dialogue accordingly. And then, and then George just very simply read with me in, in on the day when, when we were doing it. And, and that, that scene was why I wanted to do the film. That's what I found so moving that, that moment, that sort of reconciliation with one's past is, um, is, a, is quite a, quite an emotional moment. Had he lost the beard at that point? Was he clean shaven or did he still have it? Thank God, yes, he had. 
It had gone. Although that beard lingered on in the makeup trailer, stuck to a piece of sticky tape. And every time I would come in, I would have my makeup, I could just see the remnants of George Clooney's old beard next to me. That's hilarious. Uh, uh, so, so tell me about this other Netflix movie that you, that you mentioned, The Last Letter from Your Lover. What, tell me about that and who you play in that. Uh, so I shot that, yeah, as I said before, um, Midnight Sky. And I play a character called Ellie Howarth who uh, is, a, is a young journalist living in London. And that was based on a book by Jojo Moyes, um, who uh, just writes wonderful, humorous, very uh, simply, simply drawn, kind characters to play. And uh, that was uh, shot, yeah, we shot most of that in London. And uh, Shailene Woodley is in it as well, who's phenomenal in the film. And it pivots between her story, which is in the 60s, and then my story, which is present day. Oh, cool. What's the best thing about being part of the Netflix, bigger Netflix family now? Uh, I think it is, well, interestingly, I was given so much hope from watching The Queen's Gambit in recently. I just thought it was so exquisitely written and so beautifully made. And I really enjoyed the subtlety and nuance of it. And I think that it is such a pleasure to be getting grown up drama. I feel like we went through a bit of a moment where we lost that. We sort of lost, we were moving between huge family films and then uh, very small, tiny films. And it feels like we're starting to find a bit of a middle ground and, and Netflix is very much at the forefront of, of grown-up drama. Well, now with Warner Brothers releasing their entire, you know, 2021 slate on HBO Max and, you know, theaters at the same day, I feel like, you know, kind of streaming and theaters and everything, we're going we're gonna to see a new evolution in kind of how, how we view movies. and It's going to meet the audiences where they are. Yeah, and I feel I feel there'll always be a desire to go to movie theatres. And I actually think that desire will increase coming out of a pandemic. I, I think the two will sit happily side by side. But ultimately, with cinema, with television, it is always the best story wins. And, and when your story works, you get an audience. Audiences aren't stupid. Right. Thank you so much, Felicity. I appreciate it. Lovely. Thanks so much. All the best. Next up is David Ayelowo, who was nominated for playing Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma and also appeared in Queen of Catway and A United Kingdom. Like Clooney, he's also a filmmaker directing and starring in the upcoming family adventure, The Waterman. Nice to talk to you, Brian. Good talking to you. How are you doing, sir? Very well, very well indeed. How are you doing in the, the COVID times? As well as can be expected, you know, I'm healthy. I'm with my family. I'm That's happy. Good. So, you know. Um, you know, kind of doing this movie, a movie very much about making connections. You know, you have the two characters in the Arctic Circle. You know, you have a whole crew of people and then you have the connections being made between those. And you think that hits us differently this year because we can't connect with loved ones normally. And, you know, even the public interactions with other people, you know, you can't even see somebody's face. There's, there's no question that this film has become something other than it was when we shot it. Um, you know, when I first read it, what I loved about it was the fact that 
the characters, as you say, were looking at themes like connection and responsibility and leadership and looking after the planet and the lack of connection, poor choices, good choices made professionally and personally. But at the end of the day, it was a big sci-fi space movie um, that inherently is sort of rooted in fantasy and escapism. And, you know, we finished shooting the film early February and then all went to our homes and within a month were in a, a world that had fundamentally changed. And when I then saw the film more recently, it was an entirely different movie in feel and tone than was in my head when we shot it. It, it, it was no longer sort of fantasy in the same way. It's, it's, it, we were saying things that I had said. We were, you know, there's a moment in the film where we are all looking at the, the, the planet, planet Earth, shrouded in this pollution nuclear cloud, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I had had that face looking at the TV for months, looking at the rising COVID numbers and, and what was going on worldwide. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's quite eerie how prophetic the film has become. Well, also, I think, you know, it's it's a little prescient, too, because it shows how fragile humanity is, you know, and that in, in the movie, it's obviously a lot more catastrophic because it's this radiological event, you know, or, or something's happened, you know, and it, it kind of creeps all over the planet and just kind of gets the Arctic Circle last or the poles last. And this one, you know, it's just it's it's not as bad i guess but you know it's still it's you know it just shows us how prepared we weren't we weren't for such a thing especially in this country where you know people can't even wear masks you know they got to have a freedom of mass thing you know it, it just shows you how you know how we really weren't prepared for something like this both on screen and off yeah i think our fragility um has been handed to us in in quite a dramatic way but I think you're right. Unlike the film, I think in, in life, in humanity right now, we are being afforded an opportunity for a reset. We are being afforded an opportunity to do things better going forward, whether it's how we treat each other, how we treat the planet, um, how we run things governmentally. You know, it, there's so many, so many fallibilities have been highlighted by this. And, uh, yeah, in the film, we have we have we are further down the road, shall we say? <laughs> but but it still now rings as a warning shot, as opposed to something just to watch as a piece of voyeurism. Yeah, obviously George is this Hollywood icon, but what about him as a filmmaker? Do you really appreciate as an actor? Well, he is such an actor-friendly director because he's an actor. I think he directs the way he would like to be directed. And the thing that's really wonderful about being directed by him is that he lays a table that really gives you the maximum luxurious circumstances under which to do your job well. Um, you know, for myself and Tiffany Boone particularly, you know, playing these astronauts who had to do this spacewalk. You know, George has famously done a couple of those himself as an actor. And so all the preparation, whether it be the training or the rehearsal, getting the script pages on time, just an environment that is very respectful of what we needed to do to achieve that scene. 
um, was there. Normally you're having to fight for it. Normally you're saying, please, can I have a trainer? Please, can I have rehearsal? Please, can we have the pages on time? Please, can everyone just be quiet while I try to get my head around doing this, you know, zero G floating, even though I have not been more prone to gravity in all of my life because I'm being strung up by all these wires. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the sort of obvious uh, luxurious thing about being directed by George. But the, the thing that's just so wonderful about being around him for me, who is someone who aspires to some of what he's done, not only as an actor, but as a producer and a director as well, is how humble, self-deprecating and keen to share his own failings he is. You know, I, I think one of the best things someone who is further along than you can do is to be very generous with telling you their bad experiences so that you can sidestep them. And, and George is pretty good at talking about moments when things didn't work as well as he would like and what he would do differently. And, and, and that's a, a really wonderful thing to be around as well. Who among you in the cast who's on the, on the ship would be the best actual astronaut? And if it's you, you can pick yourself. Oh, gosh, good question. Who would be the best actual astronaut? It wouldn't be Felicity, because she is very clearly stated that uh, 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 she is an earthbound creature. Um, it wouldn't be Kyle Chandler, because I think he likes being on his ranch too much. Um, it wouldn't be Demian Bashir, because he's too much of a foodie to uh, a like space food, which is not very palatable. Um, and I don't know that it would be Tiffany because she, uh, yeah, I, I, I think she likes her, her, does she have a cat or a dog? I th she has a pet that I think she would really struggle being away from. I guess it would be me. Um, but, uh, but, but I wouldn't want to be away from my family. So I, I, I think the, the, the answer is none of us, which is where the acting kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> you all play it well. Yeah. Um, I, I won't get into this until after the movie's out, but that moment at the end with, with Sully and Yellowow, and I, and I feel like, or out of Wally, I'm sorry. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they have the whole universe in front of them. They have this kind of like, big responsibility to save mankind by themselves or, you know, just restart mankind. And it's interesting because there's like this moment where there's like, they take it in, there's a moment of silence and then they get back to work. What did you like about that, about that finale and, and what that says about kind of the story on the whole? Well, it's an interesting moment to highlight because it was one of the first things George talked to me about. He clearly had a very strong sense of how he wanted to end the movie. He talked about the ending of The Graduate being an inspiration for it. And, you know, it's one of, that ending is indicative of so much of what we were trying to do with the film. There are things in the film that are unplayable. You cannot play the emotion of what would it be like to essentially be Adam and Eve? What would it be like to be coming back to a planet knowing that it is pretty much done? It is over. It is wiped out. What is it like to be tasked with going to find a planet for humanity to colonize and inhabit? These are 
These are existential questions that are just too mind-blowing. So you can only play the reality of what is in front of you. Get your crew there and back. Protect this unborn child. Make a decision on the basis of this meteor shower we've just dealt with. And so that ending is very indicative of other parts of the film, which is why I, one of the things I love about the film is how meditative, thoughtful, and cerebral it is. It, it allows the audience time to breathe and to reflect and to maybe even project what they would do under those circumstances. It's not just bang, bang, bang. And I truly believe that ending is kind of perfect because what else is there to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but to now get on with it. I mean, if you, you know, whenever we started to think too hard about what does this actually mean? How does humanity actually now get perpetuated by these two? It sort of became too big. And so it's like, okay, start with, with mission number one, which is just to keep this uh, great big space station in the atmosphere. I was very charmed by the Waterman in, in Toronto, that virtual film festival, which again, part of the times we're in, you know, kind of now we have virtual film festivals and everything. Oh, yeah. is there is there a time frame for, for the rest of the world to see that? Because I feel like that, I think that's, you know, speaking of, of stories the world needs, I feel like that's one of them. Gosh, I, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, we 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 have a a, a great distributor, and uh, I, you know I'm not allowed to say okay. yet. <laughs> People will probably get mad at me. People like making announcements, I guess. Um, but yeah, that film will be uh, will be touching down at some point. Um, you know, within the, the the back end of the first half of next year. Okay. Um, you know, God willing, we're all hoping that we'll have more of a uh, sense of are people going to movie theaters? Are they watching films only on streaming? You know, but, but either way, we're trying to make a decision that is best for the film and means that the maximum amount of people get to see it. But thank you for saying that. Well, as a filmmaker, you know, making films and, and putting them out right now, when you have something like today with Warner Brothers putting their entire next year's slate on HBO Max and, and theaters, on the Whoa. same day yeah and that. you know as a filmmaker you know how what do you feel about that and just kind of like obviously you have this baby of yours that you want on a big screen you want people to see and yet you have this pandemic and there's so many kind of things involved what do you think the future is going to look like i actually think the future is going to be great for for film um i just think it's going to be different um, I think to be in a movie theater, Hollywood, filmmakers in general, you're going to have to really up your game um, because basically the audience are the winners in all of this. Uh, World-class content is about to be beamed straight to your devices, uh, you know, when you want it, how you want it, whenever you want it. Um, and if that's the case, then to get... Uh, an audience to leave their home to go and see a movie in a in a in a theater. It's going to have to really be special. Um, I personally think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think it's going to be quite what it was before, but I think it's going to be more democratized. I think it's going to be more egalitarian. I, I hazard a guess that the movie star is a is a notion that is going to be pretty much dead. Um, I think it's not going to be the who, it's going to be the what, you know, what is it as opposed to who's in it. Uh, and then occasionally it's going to be who's in, in it, who's in the right thing 
depending on what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be perfectly frank, as a, as, a, as a Black filmmaker, as a Black actor, you know, there are several avenues, several portions of the business that have been historically, traditionally challenging for me to infiltrate. And um, that's becoming less the case because the audience are beginning to tell us exactly who they want to see, when they want to see it, how they want to see it. And it's different than what, you know, Hollywood has told us they want to see and how they want to see it uh, um, and with whom. And so ultimately I I remain optimistic and very inspired. Um, But, you know, we just got to go through these growing pains in the meantime. I think, well, to your point too, I feel like kind of with, with Steve McQueen's small acts, series on on amazon and you know in movies like ma rainey's black bottom and the five bloods and you know kind of netflix and amazon and hulu i feel like kind of they're they're showing these films with you know people of color directing them you know and writing them and starring in them and telling these stories that like have not been on big screen so i feel like that's kind of meeting meeting the audience where they are kind of better you know and they're you know they're out there for people to see more see and watch more than they ever have been so i think that's a good thing too at the end of the day you make this stuff so that people will see it and the reality is so many more people are going to see the midnight sky on netflix than ever would in a movie theater True. um it was always gonna be uh the place where most people would see this film i.e on the on the smaller screen um and and yes, you know, the Midnight Sky specifically was designed for the big screen. I mean, when we were making it, the 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 notion was to have it do an IMAX theater run primarily before um, even being on Netflix. But you know, unfortunately, we're not being afforded that. I spoke to my son, my, one of my sons, the other day, my twelve-year-old, um, who was watching a show and told me he prefers watching it on his phone under a blanket. And I'm like, what on earth, you know, that, that is so bizarre to me, but I guess it's a generational thing, you know, that they are watching stuff very different. My, my kids don't watch television, they watch YouTube and they watch Netflix mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and that's just not, was not my experience. And so we've just got to acknowledge that things have changed. Before you go, have, have they seen Midnight Sky yet? They haven't. They haven't. We were actually going to have a drive-in screening of it this week, but it got cancelled because of COVID. So, yeah. um, you know, again, it, it's going to be it's going to be on our uh, our premieres. We're going to be a virtual premiere next Tuesday at home. Um, so, you know, w- welcome to the new world. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate you taking time. Thanks, Brian. Nice to speak to you. Finally, here's a guy that anybody who ever watched Friday Night Lights will know and love. Kyle Chandler is one of the greatest TV characters in history as coach Eric Taylor, and he's also been in movies such as King Kong, Super 8, The Wolf of Wall Street, Game Night, and the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong. Thank you for having me aboard. Oh, <laughs> uh, of course. How, how are you doing in all these all this stuff? Oh, just fantastic. You know, it's like a, uh, a train load of nightmares. Everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you got this yeah. movie coming out about, you know, a bigger nightmare than actually we're, we're dealing with. So that's nice. Uh, hey, listen, compared to, uh, compared to 99.999% of the people going, I'm, I'm in, I'm in good shape and we're, we've got, uh, we've got everything we need. And our family's good. And, uh, out of all of this, it's, it's drawn the family closer. So we're, 
we're trying to keep the positive from uh, all this negative and uh, one step at a time. That's the truth of the matter. That's cool. Um, well, do you think Midnight Sky, which is, you know, it's a movie very much about making connections, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, on, in an Arctic Circle with, you know, with two people or with a crew of astronauts or, you know, and, and actually in the scientists with the astronauts, you know, do you feel like this movie hits us different in a year where we can't connect with loved ones like normal? And in most of our interactions, we can't even see the other people's face. Oh, of course. I mean, from the film that I set out to make to the film that it's become due to the last 10 months, um, it's, it's two different, two different stories. Um, you know, I'm, my daughter's on the West coast right now. She might not come home for Christmas, you know, because people are telling her don't come home. You know, what's, what's, what's George Clooney's character saying to these astronauts, you know, um, you know, we're, we're, we can't see our loved ones. So instead we're looking at them on, 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 on video and, you know, our telephones and zoom and what have you, you know, just, uh, very similar to, you know, how I saw my wife in the film and how the other characters are seeing their families and you know, these tapes that have been sent to them. Um, everything's, everything's pretty impersonal. Um, and, uh, there are so many pieces of the, the film that have imitated life that it's, it's, it's really incredible. Well, I do have to say you have one of the, the one, of the movie's most really emotional moments when, you know, Mitchell is having breakfast, you know, a hologram of his family, just quietly eating, eating and enjoying it, even though she, they can't be there with him. He's there in yeah. spirit with them. I mean, and, it, and you know, there, there's so much kind of going on in this movie. Just that one quiet scene tells you so much about that character and what in what he wants out of life and how he can't wait to get home. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and that's one of the, when I first read the script, there are a few moments like that in the script. Uh, uh, myself and uh, Damien, you know, when Damien comes up and says he'd like to join me and, uh, there, there are a few moments in this script that are an actor's dream come true to be able to uh, have the silence and to be able to play those moments. Um, and uh, the, the whole, the whole script to me, it, it, it really, the spaceship section for myself, it reads very much like a play. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a story. It's not a, it's not a science fiction space movie, you know, with characters. It's, it's, it's just, it's characters surrounded by space and it's, it's very intimate um, relationships that all these people have. And you don't necessarily see these relationships, but you never see myself and uh, Felicity's character having a deep conversation, but throughout the interactions that we have and the way the, the way it's presented, you're able to give that direct sense that, those conversations have been had. They are all very intimate, caring people together. They have to be due to their quarters and the, how close they are and, and what's happening. And that immediately built an intimacy um, within, I think, I speak for myself, I guess, but it built an intimacy for myself stepping on board this ship with these other actors. You are very easy to fall into how close and how much you loved and cared these uh, for these other people. And 
it had to be backed up by the fact that we are all professionals who have done this many times. Mm -hmm. And within that professional realm, there are a set of rules that you must follow. There are protocols. And one is to gauge your emotions and to not let yourself go too far either one way or the other. So it was, it was, really, it was really enjoyable to play. You, your imagination could stretch as far as you want. But a lot of the times it wasn't your outward actions that you were playing with. It was your inward, your inward life. Like myself, I tried to imagine that closer we got to earth, I couldn't breathe as well anymore because I realized I was breathing the same air over and over. And in his imagination, I had it made up that, that he, he was, there was less and less oxygen. And although he knew this wasn't true, psychologically, it was in, in his mind and he had to control that. Mm-hmm. He had to control his temper. He couldn't share certain things. So it's a really rich inner life that's going on at all times, let alone once things really start to go haywire. So as an actor, I was every day I got to work, I was full of all kinds of great things to play. And the days went by quick. Well, and, and you have a great actor kind of like, you know, kind of directing you through this too. Obviously, you know, George is this Hollywood icon and you've worked with him before, but what about him as a filmmaker? Have you found, you know, really kind of stands apart from anybody else that you've ever worked with, you know, kind of what do you really appreciate about him as an, as, as a filmmaker? Well, you know, every director has the, I'm, I'm bringing this off the top of my head. I, I haven't thought about these questions, you know, deeply, but you know, off the top of my head, you know, you know, you know, George Clooney and, you know, you know, you have a sensibility about him, his humor and his, his fun. And, uh, and, and what I find interesting is that, you know, really when you're working with directors, what you want is for them to come up with something that, that you've never thought about before. And, and to, to, to say, hey, try this, or they give you a word or, you know, the, these magical moments. And, and George is that way, but his, when, when he says, you know, try this, um, there's usually something about it that's, um, that's really enjoyable. There's something fun about it. There's something, I don't want to say childish, um, but there's something, even if it's something very serious, it takes you, at least myself, I feel this way. There's, there's a lightheartedness about it. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a sense of, I don't know. There's just a sense of, of lightheartedness about his direction and it's it's very easy to take it and 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 run with it and um it's usually something too that when he a few of the times uh, i can remember not exactly the direction but i remember exactly thinking why didn't i think of that that's perfect and that's so nice to have you know you spent a lot of time with you know your fellow cast mates and you know and on this ship set uh, who in the cast would be the actual best astronaut among you? And if you and if it's you, you can pick yourself. Good Lord, I'd be the worst. I'd be so uh, <laughs> I'd procrastinate on everything. Nothing would get done. <laughs> um, the best astronaut on the ship. Well, hell, I'd go with Felicity. I'd say Felicity. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd trust I'd trust the I'd trust the woman. <laughs> after 25 years of marriage, I'd trust the woman and I'd be able to take direction from her a lot easier than, than, than any of those stinky guys on that show. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I won't get into this until after the movie's out, but you know, kind of your your character, and it's interesting because you mentioned you know that when Damien Sanchez comes up to Mitchell and says, you know, can I can I join you? It's it's kind of it it means more when when he wants to join Sanchez and they want you know he wants to go down to see his family, you know, even though it's kind of the earth is one big, you know, hazard, he, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He wants to see his family no matter what, what did you like about that ending for him? And I mean, did it make you kind of think about what you would do in that, in that circumstance? Yeah. So what I liked about that ending was that, you know, at, at, at 55, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain stage in life where, if, you know, that ship was filled with 30-year-olds, you know, or or 40-year-olds, you know, it's the older guy that says, listen, I've lived my life. It's your turn now. And and there was something to that that moment of, of Damien's character when he comes to me and says, you know, I want to go with you. You know, I, I have to go back. One, I made a promise. Two, I, I'm a little at least as I'm living the character, I'm a little too old to be heading out in space and always wondering about my kids and my wife and, 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 and leaving earth. Uh, I, you know, I, I still want to, I still want to smell the ocean one more time. I want to, I want to touch, I want to touch mother earth. I can't just go back and, and, and ride in cold space out to this new place. We found this, this new world. And when Damien says, you know, I want to go with you, I want to go with my friend, there's a camaraderie there. There's a there's a, a commonality that 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 people of of our age and as as uh, George said, you know, we were the we were the old men and the Muppets up in the uh, up in the, <laughs> the the top tier. Right. Well, those two guys were like, man, let's we're going together. And that was just so it was just such a sweet, kind moment, because not only did he not only did I understand he had to go back to, cause you don't, you know, he explained that, but you don't make a decision like that lightly, but he, he chose also to do it with me and it was us together. And, and, you know, that's almost like Butch Cassidy and Sundance kid at the end of the movie, charging out of that house and, you know, guns a blazing, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they did it together and there's just something warm hearted and, and beautiful about the relationship that, uh, that it, it proved everything that probably those two guys knew about each other, how much they cared and loved for each other. And you got to sense that, you know, obviously we don't, we don't see what happens, but you got the sense that like they would be ride or die, like no matter what they would make, make it underground and, you know, they would do whatever they could to find, to find his family. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I myself have a different, I, I, I was very clear on, what my character thought he was heading off into. Um, I don't know about Damien, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what was down there was down there. I guess we were going to find out the audience gets to choose. Well, what do you think happens? Well, I don't want to say because in fact, the matter is that'll lead, that'll lead people to their own conclusions. That's true. That's true. Um, so what's next for you? So is Godzilla versus Kong your your kind of next big big deal down the line? Oh, that was shot. That was that was shot PC, right? Pre COVID. That was long. <laughs> it was supposed to come out a long time ago, I think. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be old technology. No, um, <laughs> it comes out. Uh, 
Um, I forget when it's coming out. I think it's coming out in the in the new year, but I I, I don't remember one uh, when. And a lot of uh, a lot of these dates change a little bit. Even uh, Midnight Sky has gone through a few uh, different different changes. Um, but uh, and then I've I've got a job lined up in uh, in January okay. um, that was supposed to start in November, but uh, it also has been uh, moved further down the line. You know, all these films and all these projects, a lot of them are like like a politician's can, they just get kicked down the road further and further. But, um, they will happen. Well, in Godzilla versus Kong, it was, you know, that's part of Warner brothers slate next year. That's going to HBO max. You know, it's going to be on, it's going to be streaming and in theaters at the same time. Do you, do you like that? Um, thinking, you know what? I don't understand it yet. I'll be quite frank with you. I've, I've read it the other day and I've spoken to people about it and, um, you know, that's, that's just so above my pay grade right now. I'm, I'm still trying to unload the back of the truck from the, with the hay to put in the barn. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't know how all that plays out. Everything is so different. Things are changing so quickly. It's, uh, you know, I'm always the guy playing catch up. So I just can't answer you about, uh, about those things. Are you itching to get back to work at this point? Oh yes. I'm an actor. If they'll have me. I'm still waiting for that guy to come to the door and tell me they made a mistake 30 some years ago. <laughs> well, it's going to be a different world for you. I mean, kind of with the protocols and everything, it's, you know, I think pe- yes, people, it will. Be, people seem to be getting used to it, but you know, it's probably going to be different that, that for a few days. Yeah. I have a few, uh, I have a few friends who are working on projects that are actually in production um, here in uh here in the Austin area, and um, obviously out in Los Angeles, there's a few things happening. And I've heard about how it how it works and what needs to be done, and uh, it's it's lengthy, it's uh, it's complicated, it's it's extensive. And um, uh, I imagine uh, come come mid to late January, when I head off to do my next project, uh, I'll learn all about it. But um, uh, you know, it is what it is. We uh, the world changes, and what do we do? We adapt. Yep. So, uh, and that is what we will do. Cool, sir. Thank you so much for taking time. Happy holidays. Oh man, you you too. Be safe. Happy holidays, and uh, you know what? Happy New Year to us. Happy New Year, yes, exactly. Okay, listeners, your turn. Have you watched the Midnight Sky yet? Is Friday Night Lights on your 2021 binge list? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, but you can also tweet at us individually. I'm at Brian Truitt. Brett Molina, you can find at Brett Molina 23. And there's also Kelly Lawler at KLAWLS, K L A W L S. And most of us should be back next week. And don't forget, you can email us too. We're at mothershippod at usaaday.com. But we're going to wrap up things here. Thank you so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of the mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, how about leaving us a rating or review? It helps other people find the podcast. But if Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also Spotify. We're also on Spotify now. Until next week, nerds out and happy new year.